We've been studying the Gospel of Luke on Sunday mornings uh, for the last few weeks, uh, thinking about the life and the ministry of Jesus. And next week and the week after, with us approaching Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday, uh, we're going to turn our focus to the cross and to the resurrection of Jesus. But today, as I think about uh, the circumstance that we find ourselves in, uh, I was thinking about uh, the scripture that I wanted to share with you, and James chapter 4 came to mind. So we're going to look today at James chapter 4, and then next week at the cross, and then the resurrection, and then after that we're going to return to our study in Luke. And the message today is entitled, A Life Reality Check, A Life Reality Check, from James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. A couple of weeks ago, life as you knew it was clipping along about like normal, whatever normal is. You were reporting to your job. You were getting your work done for the day. You were going home in the evening and enjoying your family, perhaps. Or if you're a student, you were going to class and you were completing your studies, you were participating in extracurricular activities, or maybe if you're retired, you're going through your normal routine of life. And then it all came to a grinding halt. Life as we knew it got the hardest of all reality checks. In fact, something happened to us that none of us could have anticipated. The entire world was put on pause while only the essential services accelerated. The rest of us were left wondering what to do. COVID-19 set us on our heels in a way that we have never experienced in the modern era, and we were left to wonder what to do next. And to date, the impact has been more dramatic for some than for others. In fact, I looked at the most recent numbers this morning, and more than 680,000 people have been uh, impacted by this sickness in their own health. Somewhere around 32,000 people have already stepped out into eternity as a result of it. So I want us to think today about what we're to do when we experience a reality check in life. You see, a reality check is something that you face that makes you recognize the truth, that gives you the ability to see reality around you, maybe like you never have before, especially the circumstances and the difficulty of those circumstances. And how does the Bible tell us to Look to God in our faith. How does the Bible instruct us to deal with these reality checks that we face? Well, we find some information in James that's going to help us in that. And I think we also find some helpful warnings in James. So I, what I want to do is look at these verses uh, section by section and really think through how we're to respond when we get a life reality check. First of all, you need to be careful not to act out of presumption. You need to be careful not to act out of presumption. Now, to presume is to suppose that something is the case on the basis of probability. So to presume is to think that something is going to happen for certain just because it has before or just because things are uh, to be anticipated because you've seen something similar, and then we just go about life doing what we want to do. Beginning in verse 13, this is what the Bible says. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. 
yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be. Now, James was referring to the typical business person who made his own plans. Merchants of that day, tradespeople of that day who would gather goods and products in one city. They would take those goods and products that they gathered in one city and they would go to another city and there they would stay for a while as they sold those goods and they made a profit. So it would go something like this. They would put their plan together. They would choose the place that they wanted to go to the time frame would be assumed as to how long they would be there, and the profit uh, would be anticipated. But here's the issue. The problem was they were planning and choosing their location and acting presumptively in their own will rather than acting on God's will. There was this attitude that they would do what they wanted to do, this attitude of independence and self-sufficiency without a focus toward God. And the root problem of all of that is pride. And you see, we're all prone to this. We think that we can pull ourselves up and make something out of ourselves on our own. And we tend to act in self-sufficient ways. And our own pride can creep in. And we just do what we always do, thinking that we're going to get what we've always gotten. And here James is about to rebuke the kind of heart that lives and makes its plans apart from an awareness of God and with a presumption about our own limitations. The reality is we don't know what's going to happen for sure an hour from now, much less what's going to happen a year from now. And the attitude goes beyond making wise plans for the future. This is not the attitude of now, let us go. It's the attitude of, we will go. We are certain that this is going to happen. We're presuming upon the reality of future things which are not in our power. Now, let me say this to you. You should plan wisely. In fact, it's good stewardship to plan for the future. You should prepare and lay out some things to manage the things God has entrusted to you. It's like that saying goes that those who fail to plan, plan to fail. And you should have plans, but the point is your plans should be consistent with God's will for your life. All of your plans should be submitted to Him because if a reality check comes in life and we think that we're going to do as we've always done and we presume upon these things, rather than building our faith and our trust in God, that's where we can get ourselves in trouble. And we want biblical priorities to guide our lives and to govern what we're doing so that we can honor God. Don't get overextended in your commitments. If this circumstance that we're living in now uh, can't teach us that, I don't know what will. Don't get overextended because along could come an illness. Along could come a collapse of the world economy. Along could come a cutback in the job that you're in. Circumstances can change. And when that reality check comes, if, if we're overextended and we're doing more than we should, 
then we're going to have difficulty adjusting and dealing with the circumstance at hand. I remember Jesus in the gospel talked about a farmer who was a fool. He told it in the form of a parable. This particular farmer had land. He was uh, prosperous in his ways. He was planning for the future. He's saying to himself, I'm just going to keep uh, building up and storing things for myself. In fact, listen to what it says in Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 16. A rich man's land was very productive. This is the story Jesus told. He thought to himself, what should I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? I will do this, he said. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all my grain and my goods there. And then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, enjoy yourself. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life is demanded of you. And those things that you have prepared, whose will they be? And Jesus concluded with this. That's how it is with one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Friend, you don't know what life is going to bring tomorrow. Life is full of complexities plans can and do change and we need to be careful not to act out of presumption there's a second helpful warning be aware of your limitations be aware of your limitations look again at the scripture in james chapter 4 second part of verse 14 says for you are like vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Be aware of your limitations. Now, what's a vapor? A vapor is something that is short-lived. It appears for a little while, and then it just vanishes. It's here, and then it's gone. You see the fog of the morning that might make it hard to see the sun comes out and it's gone you see the steam rising off of your coffee cup and in just a second it it disappears into the air like a like a wisp and life is like that that's what james is telling us here that that life is limited in Psalm 90, Moses lamented the brevity of life, and he compared life on this earth to the grass of the field that sprouts in the morning, and by the evening it is faded under the hot sun. And he says in verse 10 of Psalm 90, As for the days of our life, they contain 70 years, or if due to strength, 80 years, yet their pride is but labor and sorrow, for soon it is gone and we fly away. He says in verse 12 of Psalm 90, So teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. So if we don't act out of presumption and we are aware of our limitations, then we can present our days to God as an offering. We can recognize our limitations in life. And make the most of every single moment that God entrusts to us. 
You might have seen some of those life expectancy calculators online. I think insurance is most uh, interested in life expectancy because it has to do with their money and uh, resources. And there are these online calculators that will actually show you what an estimate of your life expectancy is. So not uh, being able to get out this much this week, I thought I'll put in one of those life expectancy calculators for this particular message. And based on the information that I put in, here's what it said. You've got a 50% chance of living to age 87. Now that's encouraging. It's 50-50 apparently as to whether or not I'll make it that long. Now, accurate or not, here's my point. I am well aware of the fact that on a quote-unquote normal life expectancy, that I am well into the third quarter of my life. And when I think about all of the time that has passed, and I think about the potential of what God could do in the future in my life, I recognize, according to what the Bible says here in James chapter 4, that I am guaranteed of nothing, and I should make the most of the moment because life is limited. Today's our opportunity to live for the Lord. This is the moment. This is the generation that God has called us to. These are the circumstances that we find ourselves in. And we want to make the most of those because life is frail. We know it, but we don't like to think about it. Somebody said that every birthday you celebrate and every funeral you attend and every serious illness that you suffer and every time you sit down to plan... It is a potential reminder from God that your life is but a vapor. It's a mist. It's a puff of smoke. Even Jesus taught us how to think about disasters. You understand that we have the wisdom and the principles in the Bible that we need for every circumstance in life. Every circumstance is not spelled out, but we have principles and truth in the Word of God that gives us guidance in every circumstance. And Jesus uh, was talking about a circumstance where uh, the question had been asked about uh, some Galileans who had died. And Jesus responded in Luke chapter 13, and he asked this question. Do you suppose that those Galileans were greater sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this fate? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or do you suppose that those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them were worse culprits than all the men who live in Jerusalem? Jesus said, I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So let me make this point. You cannot control what happens. But you can be ready. You cannot control what happens. But you can be ready. And we typically live under this uh, illusion that somehow life is in our control. But when we get a reality check, and that reality check is harsh, it's a reminder that we're not really in control. You want to know how frail life is? Then look at the photos of the past. Listen to the silent voices of yesteryear. 
we cannot think and act as though we will live on this earth indefinitely. Every heartbeat, every movement, every moment, it depends on God, and God is good, and He can be trusted. Think about it. God gave you physical life, and God sustains that physical life. God gave you spiritual life when you came to trust in Jesus Christ by faith, and God will sustain that spiritual life. God promises you eternity with him in heaven, and Jesus said that he's gone to prepare a place for you. And that where he is, there you will be also. And in all these things, we're reminded that God has a purpose for every second on this earth. He has a reason for us being here, and that reason is so that we could glorify him. And the best way that we can glorify him is to be careful not to act out of presumption and to be aware of our limitations. And the scripture says that we should say, if the Lord wills, we will do this or we will do that. Now, you're familiar with the saying, I say it often, uh, a version of this, Lord willing. Listen, that's not a flippant add-on to our plans. It's saying directly, this is dependent on the Lord's will. James is pointing you to a mindset that permeates all of life. That when you wake up in the morning, that time is dependent on God sustaining you. Everything is according to the Lord's will because the Lord is ultimately in control of life and death and eternity. We see this in the ministry of the Apostle Paul in his missionary journeys when he left Ephesus. He said, I will return to you again if God wills. He said, I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. So the activities of our lives are in God's hands and he can be trusted. John Piper put it this way. He said, let us remember how wonderfully secure we are in the confidence that it is God who finally governs our lives. God and not chance. God and not our enemies. God and not disease. God and not the devil. And then he says this, I for one am very glad that life is in the hands of an all-loving, all-wise, and all-powerful Father. A life reality check reminds you that you need to be aware of your limitations. The third helpful warning is to be diligent to avoid sin. Be diligent to avoid sin. Now, we know that temptation is abounding in this life, that we live in a sin-fallen world, and even creation groans and cries out for renewal. So at every point, there are opportunities for us to disobey God and to do what is wrong rather than do what is right. And he tells us that we need to avoid that. Notice again in James chapter 4 and verse 16 and 17, he says, but as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So it is sin to know the good and yet not do it be diligent to avoid sin now the root of this has already been revealed in the previous verses the root of this is pride i would go so far as to say that pride is the root of all sin it was pride 
that caused the fall from heaven. It was pride that caused sin to enter into the garden when they wanted to be as God. It's our pride that leads us to a desire to be self-sufficient and do what we want to do rather than what God wants us to do. And James refers here to the problem of boasting in your arrogance, and he says that it is evil. In John's epistle, he refers to it as the boastful pride of life. So I think what's in view is this arrogant self-sufficiency. This says we can do what we want to do, and when we have that prideful attitude, then it leads us into sin. There's a story from long ago about the life of the military genius Napoleon Bonaparte. It was pride that eventually led to his downfall. As the story goes, he was preparing to lead his troops to invade Russia, and a friend tried to persuade him not to do that. And when Napoleon would not budge, a friend who was speaking to him spoke a word to him and said, man proposes, but God disposes. Napoleon, in his pride, snapped back. I dispose as well as propose. Napoleon's prideful invasion of Russia was the beginning of his downfall. In fact, on June the 24th of 1812, he led his massive army to cross over the river and to invade Russia from the Poland side. And the result was a disaster. The Russian army did not do what they anticipated they would do. They did not engage. Instead, they retreated. And when they retreated, they drew them into dangerous territory with weather that these people were not anticipating. And before it was all over, Napoleon's army had lost, listen to this, 300,000 men out of the 500,000 who had invaded. The Russian army had lost 200,000 men and the invasion stopped his march across Europe and resulted in his first exile you say well that's a massive example that's a massive illustration yes it is but I give you that illustration for this reason we can put ourselves in a place where it's disastrous to our lives if we're not diligent to avoid sin. Our pride can lead to a downfall. And he says, arrogant boasting is evil. Now, verse 17 seems a little bit out of place in this passage. Maybe it refers to all that James has said up to this point, but I think it more directly connects to the immediate previous thought of James because the verse applies to all of life concerning what we would refer to as sins of omission. Now, we, we often focus on the obvious sins, right? The things that we know are wrong, like breaking the Ten Commandments type of wrong. But we don't give as much thought to the sins of omission. And when we fail to do what is right, and we knew that it was right, if we fail to do what is good, and we knew that it was good, then that's a sin of omission for us. Jesus told a story about pretty much the same thing in Luke chapter 12. The story was about servants and how they had obeyed the master in the absence of the master. 
And Jesus closed with the admonition for to everyone to whom much is given, much of him will be required. And to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. Church, we've been given so much. We've been blessed so greatly. When we think about the superabundance of the grace of God in our lives, we recognize it because we've been given the superabundance of God's grace in our lives, then we want to use that well, and we want to be diligent to avoid sin. And James is urging you here to take the Lord into careful consideration in all that you do. The issue is not that we don't know what to do or even how to do it. The issue is, are we going to do what we know is right that God wants us to do? So I say to you today, do the good works that you know to do. Be a blessing to somebody, especially during this time. Pray, communicate, encourage, bless. And in your own life, don't allow the enemy to isolate you and to draw you into temptations that you otherwise would avoid and honor God with how you're living. You see, these are the days that our faith really gets tested. When we're on the mountaintop, it's easy to be a Christian. But when you're in the valley, you find out what your faith is really all about. And we want to be aware of where we are in life and understand this point, and I'm, then I'm going to close. I cannot even control tomorrow. So I trust in God because I believe that he controls all of eternity. I'm going to say this again. I cannot even control tomorrow. So I trust in God because I believe he controls all of eternity. And this God who controls all of eternity has the greatest of all blessings laid up for his children. He is a good God and he is preparing for us, us for something that is far better than now. And we need to trust him. And as we trust him, he's glorified and, and we get blessed because of it. Are you a follower of Jesus, a disciple of the Savior? If you are, ask him to, to lead you in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. And if you're not, today would be a good time to trust in Jesus. The Bible says if you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Salvation is a gift, but a gift has to be received. God extends the gift to us. He bought and paid for it through the blood of his only son. And it was Jesus Christ who was willing to leave the glory of heaven and enter into the mess of this earth and identify with us and even become sin for us so that we might know the righteousness of God in him. And he went to that cross and died willingly for your sins. He was buried in a borrowed tomb and he was raised from the dead. And even now, through faith in him, as we turn from our sins and we turn to the Savior, our lives can be eternally changed. If you don't know him, will you trust him today? Let me pray with us, and then after I pray, Pastor Eric's going to come for a closing song, and I'll make a concluding remark at the end as we sign off. Father, we truly are in your hands.
Unfortunately, sometimes it takes uh, a reality check for us to recognize that and to see just how much we depend on you and how little we are truly in control of. But Lord, there's a freedom that comes when, when we recognize that we aren't in control, but you are and that you can be trusted. So God, help us to live in the middle of that freedom. Help us to know that, that because our trust is in you, we don't have to fear. We don't have to worry. We don't have to be depressed because of it. We can have joy even in the midst of the trial. God, I pray that you would bring honor and glory to your name through our lives, through our church, through our friends, and all the way to the ends of the earth. And I pray if there is anybody who doesn't know Jesus as Savior and Lord, that today would be the day of their salvation, that they would receive the gift of everlasting life and say yes to Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.